Welcome to the Empowered Christian Woman Podcast. My name is Jeanette Cochran. I'm a pastor, women's leadership coach, and self-proclaimed Jesus feminist. I'm on a mission to inspire and equip women everywhere to own our voice, speak up, create, and lead wherever God calls. Because when women rise, everyone wins. Hello, hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Empowered Christian Woman Podcast. I'm thrilled to be with you again. It's the end of August as I'm recording this, and I want to get this episode out to you before I head out of town this weekend for one final summer vacation to the beach. This is our annual family beach vacation, and we scheduled it for a host of reasons at the end of the summer. I have been looking forward to this vacation. I've needed this beach therapy so much. And so this weekend, I'm finally getting there. For me, the beach is just that place where I can really disconnect. It's a place of peace. We have a great time. I love just being able to sleep in late. No alarms, no schedule, good food, good laughs, spending time with the people that I love the most. I'm looking forward to that. I hope you've had a great summer and maybe like me, you've got one or two more fantastic vacations planned. Today, I want to continue our conversation as we are looking at what does the Bible really say about men and women? What is God's plan and God's purpose for humanity? And does the Bible really limit women in the ways that complementarian theology has taught us? And I want to take a specific look today at the life of Jesus. I want to take a look at Jesus's attitude and actions towards women. Because what we're going to find is that Jesus, for his era, for his time, he was a feminist. Webster's Dictionary defines feminism as a belief in and advocacy for the equality of the sexes. Jesus was revolutionary for his day, elevating women and treating them as equals alongside their brothers. We miss a lot of this when we read the Gospels today because we're reading it through our 21st century lens, and so we miss so much of what was going on in the context and how Jesus is breaking with so many of the cultural and social norms in order to elevate and include women. Jewish rabbis in Jesus' day generally held that women were inferior There's one ancient rabbinic saying from the Talmud that says it's better for Torah to be burned than to be taught to a woman. Women were not taught the Torah. They were not included in theological education. There's another ancient Jewish prayer that says, Blessed art you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. So every morning, devout Jewish men would pray this prayer. Every morning, they would begin by thanking God that they are Jewish, free men. But then Jesus enters the scene. Jesus is a Jewish rabbi, and he comes along teaching about what he calls the kingdom of God and talking about what life looks like when God is in charge. 
And Jesus, he treats the oppressed and marginalized people with dignity and respect. And among those groups who are marginalized and oppressed in Jesus' day are women. Jesus elevates women through his teaching and his interactions with them. I want to look at some of the ways that we see him doing this. The first we'll look at today is found in John chapter 4. This is a very popular narrative of the woman at the well. And so the disciples have gone into the city to get food to eat, and Jesus hangs back. He's waiting at the well. It's midday. This woman comes alone to the well, which is unusual anyway, but she's there alone and Jesus approaches her and speaks to her. When the disciples return, they are surprised to find Jesus speaking to a woman because it's unacceptable in the first century in the Middle Eastern culture for a man to speak to a woman that he doesn't know in public. Kenneth Bailey, who is a professor of Middle Eastern New Testament studies, he spent 40 years living and teaching the New Testament in the Middle East. And he says that this cultural expectation is still present in the Middle East today. He writes, and I quote, he says, throughout the 40 years of life in the Middle East, I never crossed this social boundary line, meaning to speak to a strange woman in public. He writes, in village society, a strange man does not even make eye contact with a woman in a public space. But Jesus engages this woman in conversation. And not only does he engage her in conversation, he engages her in a theological discussion and he reveals himself as the Messiah. This was so unusual. Because men did not talk to women, and they certainly did not have theological discussions with women. But Jesus did. Furthermore, Jesus deliberately shaped his teaching to connect powerfully with women just as he did for men. In Luke 5, we see two parables. One is about mending a garment, which would have been a woman's task, and that is alongside a parable about making new wine, which would have been a man's task. There are two parables on prayer in the book of Luke. There's one about a friend who comes at night, and the second is about a woman struggling with an indifferent judge. The parable of the mustard seed, where men would do the farming, is linked to the story of a woman kneading leaven into bread dough in Luke chapter 13. The parable of the lost sheep is linked to the story of the woman who lost her coin in Luke chapter 15. We miss this. We don't see this as really all that important because today our daughters are educated in the same way that our sons are. They have the same educational opportunities. But this was not the case in Jesus's culture. In a culture where women were largely ignored and shut out of theological teaching, Jesus seems to be intentionally shaping his messages to be inclusive to women with the men. Just as today, pastors, when we shape our messages, we use examples from the world that are relevant to our audience. 
Jesus was intentional to do this for women, and that was unheard of for a rabbi in his culture in his time. Jesus also had women disciples. In Matthew chapter 12, there's a story where Jesus is teaching and someone comes to him and says, hey, your mother and your brothers, they're outside and they want to talk to you. And he looks to this person and he replies, and the text says that he's pointing to the people in front of him. And he says, here are my mother and my brothers, because whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Again, Kenneth Bailey points out that in a Middle Eastern context, a speaker who gestures to a crowd of men can say that they're brothers or uncles or cousins. But if you are gesturing to a crowd where there are only men present, you would never say anything about a mother or a sister because that would be an insult to the men. That would be offensive to them. So we know very clearly from this passage that when Jesus is teaching, women are present. Even more extraordinary is the report that we find in Luke 8. Luke chapter 8 and verses 1 through 3 tell us that Jesus was traveling from town to town and there 12 were with him and also some women. And it names very specifically Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. And it says these women were helping to support them out of their own means. Jesus is actually traveling through cities and towns with a band of men and women who were known to be his disciples. This is quite astonishing because women traveling with the group of men was unheard of in the first century. It was completely unacceptable in their social culture, and there's no historical evidence to support that any rabbi in Jesus' day had female disciples. Jesus is the first to have women disciples, women that he included as his students. And apparently, from this passage, the women were the ones that were funding Jesus's ministry. They were the ones that were putting food on the table. They were the ones that were supporting them financially. I find this so striking because complementarians include in their definition of masculinity, benevolent responsibility to provide for women. In their book, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, Piper and Grudem write, and I'm going to quote from their book. It says, when there is no bread on the table, it is the man who should feel the main pressure to do something to get it there. It does not mean his wife can't help, but a man will feel his personhood compromised if through sloth or folly or lack of discipline, he becomes dependent over the long haul on his wife's income. There are many households today that if the women stopped working, they would not have the money sufficient to pay the rent or put food on the table. According to Piper and Grudem, that somehow diminishes a man's personhood. Furthermore, 
they say, in recovering biblical manhood and womanhood. I'm quoting again, pages 42 and 43. Mature manhood senses a benevolent responsibility before God to be the primary provider for his family. He senses that if God were to come to call someone to account for not meeting the family's needs, God would come to the husband first. The same is true for a social grouping of men and women who are not married. Mature men sense that it is primarily their responsibility to see that there is provision. Well, apparently Jesus did not feel demeaned, were compromised in his manhood by allowing the women to provide for him. He welcomed it. That was quite astonishing in a first century context. And it seems to be quite contrary to what complementarians teach about what is biblical manhood. When we define our manhood our personhood as connected to the money that we make and the way in which we provide for our family. No wonder the men in our culture and our society tie their self-worth to their career and their income. Maybe it's from the cultural messages they get, or maybe it's because what they've been taught by the church and the Christian culture. Now, I'm not suggesting that men should not provide for their families. Of course they should. We would always provide for those that we love and want to provide nice things. And so do women want to provide for those that we love. But when we tie our monetary contributions to our families, to our personhood, that just messes things up. And apparently Jesus didn't think it was against his manhood to receive from women. In Luke chapter 10, we see that Jesus defended a woman's right to learn and be included alongside the men. Another very well-known story in Luke chapter 10, we see Jesus is at the home of Mary and Martha. And the text tells us that Martha was really distracted. She was, so to speak, in the kitchen making preparations. She was playing host. And it says, Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Well, Martha is upset by this. She comes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, don't you even care that I'm doing all the work? And here is my sister sitting with all the men. Tell her to help me. We miss in this story a lot of what's going on. And oftentimes we make it about busyness or being quiet and silent. And certainly we can draw those conclusions from this. But what's really going on here? For the readers of a first century context, they would realize that to say that someone is sitting at a teacher's feet means they're indicating that this person was a disciple or a student. To sit at someone's feet was a common phrase used to indicate a student of a rabbi. It's the same Greek phrase that Paul uses in Acts 22.3, where he is saying that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was referencing his rabbi and his teacher. And so here, Mary is crossing a clear cultural barrier. She is breaking into the men's space and sitting 
and being a student and a learner from Jesus. And what's shocking about this story is Jesus commends her. The woman who is commended here is not the one who is playing hostess, but the woman who is commended is the woman who is being the student of the rabbi. And Jesus says to Martha, no, no, I won't take this away from Mary. Yes, she is breaking cultural barriers, and I'm letting her do it. I am letting her learn right alongside her brothers. Because with Jesus... It was a new day for women. Jesus was saying, I want women as well as men to sit at my feet, to learn from me and to serve with me. And so what Mary was given was not taken away from her. And now some will ask, okay, so Jesus included women and he had women disciples, women students, but he didn't include women among the original 12. And so that means that Jesus is really still upholding male leadership. So let me speak to that. First of all, Jesus never commented or taught on this matter. I mean, he never said, hey, I'm choosing only men because I believe God has given leadership to men only. And his actions actually suggest differently. Furthermore, there were only 12 Jewish men chosen. And so if we follow this line of reasoning, then we would have to concede that Jesus only wants Jewish males to be leaders and teachers in the church. But we know that Paul later addresses this in this very same debate in Galatians 3.28. Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Amongst many reasons, the most significant reason that Jesus chose 12 men was because he chose those men. Specifically, it says he was investing in them to send them out to do preaching and healing ministry. We see that he did that with the 12 on many occasions. That would have been impossible to do for women in that cultural context, because as we said, men are not going to speak to women in public. They're certainly not going to have discussions about God with women. And so this behavior could have been or would have been misconstrued as an enticement to sin, a lure of temptation. And so Jesus, knowing the culture in which he was working in, the attitudes and the social change that would have to take place for women to be able to be successful at this, Jesus is working at this point within the cultural context. And so he is training up the men and sending them out. But women played a significant role in Jesus's ministry right up to the end. A small group of women followed him all the way to the cross. So while the men were behind locked doors, cowering in fear, for good reason, the women stayed present with Jesus right up to the end. The scriptures tell us that they were right there at the cross. Dorothy Sayers, in her book, Are Women Human?, writes this, Perhaps it's no wonder that the women were the first at the cradle and the last at the cross. They had never known a man like this. There never has been such another. A prophet and teacher who never nagged at them, never flattered or coaxed or patronized, who never made arch jokes about them, who took their questions and arguments seriously, who never mapped out 
there's fear for them, never urged them to be feminine or jeered at them for being female, who had no axe to grind and no uneasy male dignity to defend. Women were also the first to be commissioned by Jesus, the risen Christ, told them to take the good news of the resurrection to the men. We see this in Matthew 28.10. Not only are the women are the first to witness the resurrection, but they are charged specifically by Christ to go to the men and to preach the gospel of the good news that Jesus is alive. Jesus specifically gave them authority to preach the good news to men. Kevin Giles, in his book, Better Together, says, In commissioning the women to go and tell the male apostles, the risen Jesus makes the women apostles to the apostles. When we look closely at the life and ministry of Jesus within the patriarchal first century Middle Eastern context, we see that Jesus made deliberate countercultural choices to elevate and include women in unprecedented ways. So what was lost at the fall, Jesus in his mission is specifically beginning to restore. He's moving us forward, which is really back to God's original design of oneness that was established at creation, where men and women live together in mutual submission, in mutual honor and service to one another. In this new community, Jesus wants both women and men to sit at his feet and learn from him. He values the gifts of women just as much as men. The old distinctions that separate and divide in the world do not exist in the kingdom of God. That is why Paul writes in Galatians 3.28 that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There's neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Everyone has a place. Everyone is equal. Everyone is included. In a culture where women were believed to be inferior to men, treated as property, and rarely taught the Torah, Jesus defied cultural norms elevating and advocating for women. In an era where women were invisible, Jesus includes them in his band of followers, teaching and engaging them in serious theological discussion. Today, more and more Christians are recognizing that although the Bible was written in a patriarchal culture, patriarchy was never God's design for humanity. Dominance and male privilege are the result of sin and the curse from which Jesus has set us free. Now, more than ever, we need to follow the example of Jesus. Christians should be the loudest voices sharing a positive, affirming gospel message with women who are searching for hope. Let's show the world that our gospel is good news for both men and women. Let's show the world that following Jesus produces a climate of honor, respect, and mutuality in our relationships. Because that's what Jesus taught and modeled. And Jesus championed the dignity, rights, 
and equality of women right alongside men. He elevated women so that they could rise to their full potential. So let's do the same today. Because when women rise, everyone wins. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Empowered Christian Woman Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and share it with other women in your network. For more information about me and the work that I do, check out JeanetteCochran.com. And I'd love to hear from you personally. Come join the conversation on social. You can find me on Facebook at Coach or Instagram at Jeanette.Cochran.